Good morning. I'm grateful for your presence. Let's pray. God, you alone are the one who can do great things. And we offer ourselves to you in full awareness that there is little that we bring, but we are conscious that you are making us new. And that by the power of your spirit, that we are given the power and capacity to work your will in the world. We ask that we might be changed because of who we are in you, and that we might be dedicated and devoted to doing your work in the world, that there may be great love for all people, that we might be drawn into your deep mercy. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. This Wednesday starts a new season of the Christian year. You may feel like we just finished Advent, and we sort of did, but we're entering into a new one. And the seasons of the Christian year are not found in the text of the scriptures, but they are helpful for us as people who believe to set rhythms and cycles. Uh, and I think it's often tied into our natural human need to remember, to return to these central and identifying truths of our faith. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and it intends to serve as the marker of the last days of Jesus's life here on earth. It gives us a chance to see what Jesus prioritizes during this last bit of his earthly life. It also offers us an opportunity to reflect on what it might mean, his final teachings, his final healings and actions. What does it mean for us? Some people use Lent as a time to reflect sort of penitently, thinking about their sin and the things that they've done, ways they wish to do differently. And our focus this season is going to be a little bit different. This is a different sort of historical Christian trajectory, but I'm not making this up completely by myself. There is a lot of precedent for this, give or take a thousand years ago. But we're going to talk about baptism. In ancient times, not so ancient perhaps, many religious traditions would emphasize Easter as a Sunday for baptism, for people who are interested in entering into a formal relationship with Jesus. And so they would study Jesus's baptism in the weeks coming up to Easter. And this congregation and many in our modern day do not emphasize that for a variety of good reasons, I think. Sometimes it's pragmatic if you have one Sunday for baptisms because you only have to fill the baptistry one time. But we do baptism any day of the year. So in some ways it feels out of place for us to study this now. But I do think that the opportunity to return to reflecting on baptism as you have received it, what it means for you as a believer, and what it might mean if you have not yet considered it, is a great opportunity for us during this season of Lent. So we're going to consider this. This is not a series that I'm intending to serve as a conversion. We're not going to put the pressure on you if you haven't gotten dunked in any way, right? But I want us to have a whole church focus and reflection on why we think baptism matters according to the life of Jesus and according to the teachings of the early church. So the question we're going to ask this first week, it'll all be questions, they're back on the board if you'd like to see them. The first week of our series here is what is baptism? But when I say that, I think maybe that triggers for you a question of practical issues, right? Sprinkled or dunked whether there are certain words you want to say before you're baptized, if the water temperature is above or below a certain 
temp, but this is actually more what is the purpose of baptism? What is the intention? What is the weight and meaning of the action of baptism? This is a big picture question for us about what does it mean to be baptized? Many of the passages in the Christian scriptures assume a connection between Christian belief and Christian baptism. So when we talk or we read things about belief and faith, there is a built-in assumption that those things will go together. We were going to unpack some more of this next week when we talk about the question, who is baptized? But as we go into our text for this week, I just wanted to remind you all that there is a presumption of the connection of those things. If you hear and believe the message, you will receive a baptism. So we're going to start by reflecting on the text from Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 13 and 14 today. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who this is a pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. So here the author is speaking to the community in the city and area of Ephesus, a major place in the ancient world. And the early portion of the letter, as is traditional for letters written in this time, contains a blessing. The author is reflecting on blessings from God to the people, blessings that they share one to another within their community. And this text reflects that these new believers, once they had heard this message of truth, were included in Christ, were drawn in by the reception of this message. And by this new gospel, this new good news for salvation, and through the assumed power of baptism, not mentioned but presumed by the readers, they are brought in to God's family. When you believed, the writer says, you received this marker that would distinguish you from among all other peoples as one of God's own, a seal, the Holy Spirit. That Spirit was promised to them by Christ before many of them even knew to believe in Christ. And it serves as a promise that those who are redeemed, those who are of God, are to eventually receive the full restoration into God at the end of all things. These promises are not small promises. They are significant. And the writer wants to make sure that there's no confusion about what has happened with this belief and choice to be baptized. They had received a deposit, a guarantee, a promise, something to give them confidence that their faith and their practice was not in vain. God would not leave them alone. Not in a negative way, but a positive one. And that promise received in baptism was the presence of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of this, the writer reminds us, is not just for them as a reassurance, but also for God's own glory. A reminder of what God has done for each of us and in each of us. Baptism serves as a reminder of the covenant, a choice made by both 
parties, both we and God, a covenant that is in agreement to live as Christ lived, according to God's own will and character. Baptism serves as a pledge, an agreement to mold ourselves to the example of Christ. And baptism serves in this way through the Holy Spirit as a seal, the Holy Spirit serving as the power which seals us into the love of God. And as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in offering believers this promise of covenant, this seal, this affirmation of relationship through the choice of baptism, we also cannot forget that it's not always as neat and tidy as we might like for it to be. It's not always a direct path of faith, baptism, presence of the Holy Spirit. It'd be great if it were, right? Tremendously convenient. But sometimes, as the Lord does often, God acts not in ways that we expect. The scriptures and Jesus' own example tell us that baptism is a crucial element in the life of any believer. But we know from those same scriptures that the Holy Spirit at times reveals work in a person before they receive a baptism. We see this best in the story found in Acts chapter 10. In this story, Peter, disciple of Jesus, who is now a major leader in the church at this time, has received both a message, an outside message, and a vision. The message was brought to him by a messenger who was sent by an outsider, a non-Jewish man, who had asked Peter to come and teach his family the truth of God. And the vision was given to Peter by God as he was on the roof of a, a house. And it was to let Peter know that now had come the time when people who were previously excluded, non-Jewish people, would be welcomed into the Christian faith, that they were no longer excluded because of their ethnic or religious heritage. So Peter goes, after he receives the message and the vision, to the house of Cornelius, the man who had sent for him. And Cornelius and his family are gathered there, and he recounts to Peter the vision that Cornelius himself had received, in which God had told him that his good works had been noticed, and to send for Peter so that Peter might teach them the truth. So Peter does. Peter begins to teach this gathered group of Cornelius' family and his household, and as he is teaching them the truth about Jesus, the gathered family are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying and telling things that are spiritually true and clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt in the mind of anyone watching what is happening here because they'd seen this before. This was just like Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come in tongues of fire onto the gathered believers in Judea. And so Peter and all of his Jewish Christian friends with him are shocked by this event, but not surprised in a negative way, because they knew that what they were seeing was the work of the Holy Spirit. They were confident that that was what was happening. But they also knew that these gathered believers had not yet received a baptism. And so they were surprised, but rejoiced in this moment. And Peter says, Surely no one could stand between them and a baptism of water, for they, just like us, have received a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter sees this moment as a clear confirmation that these are people God has marked out 
for God's own glory. There's no fear or hesitation. There's no concern about God doing things out of order. But there is a presumption that the next step for this community to take is to be baptized by water. And they are right in that moment. So what does this story tell us? Especially considering what we've already read from the book of Ephesians. I think the central point of both stories, both conversations, is the same point. The Holy Spirit's work and the baptism of a believer are tied up together. One assumes the other. If you are someone who has been baptized according to the text, you have already received the gift of the Holy Spirit, whether you spoke in tongues at baptism or not. And if you are someone who has been changed and shaped by the Holy Spirit, even if you did not have a name for what was happening in your heart, then the next step for you is to choose to be baptized, to reaffirm and confirm what God is already doing in your life and heart. Neither story is negated by the other, but both reflect this same point. God's promise is one that never fails. As we affirm and commit to God's calling in our life. Now, our role in this story is partially dependent on where we are at in our walk of faith. Sometimes when we come to a text or a concept, the message is pretty even. But in this situation, because we have varying degrees of faith in our community, which is a good thing, by the way, our responsibility shifts based on where in our grand walk we are. So, regardless of where you are, there is a path offered you through this truth of baptism. If you are a believer who has already received a baptism, here are some truths that are affirmed. You have pledged yourself to God, and it is a pledge that you make over and over again. Not a one-time promise, not a promise with a timeline, or a contract that you've signed that has stipulations to get you out if things go south but rather a choice that is made every morning, every hour, every moment to affirm and confirm your connection to God. Additionally, you have made this covenant with God, and because of that, there are mutual terms and conditions, expectations of the relationship you share. It means living a life that reflects a desire to be made in God's image. And on God's end, it means a welcome into God's own infinite mercy and love. And it has more than enough forgiveness in this contract to get us out of every time and then some that we step outside of it. We participate in this baptismal covenant by living holy lives, by better applying love in our everyday situations, by receiving compassion when someone offers it to you, by allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, and lastly, it means knowing that your baptism, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, are assured. You can be confident, utterly confident, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a promise into God's love. It cannot be broken by anyone other than God, and God keeps God's promises. For those who are in the care of God, for those covenanted with God, we can be assured of God's faithfulness, not because of our moral superiority, but because of God's own character. Hallelujah. If you are someone 
who has not received a baptism and has not felt ready for that for any number of reasons in your life. Here are some truths that I hope still will ring true for you. The Holy Spirit may already be at work in your heart and in your life. May already be transforming you and preparing you for the work of the life of God. And if that is the case, then the hope is that you will affirm that decision by confirming your invitation in God's family through the act of baptism. If you feel yourself being drawn into living a life of love, being kinder or more compassionate than you even thought that you could be, and if you feel yourself peaceful in a time of great uproar and challenge beyond your own skill set or training to be peaceful, and if you desire to be more than the person that you are, and you wish to be changed and transformed, Perhaps this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, already shifting. And you can be more of who God wishes for you to be. And if you are feeling these things, or if you wish to feel these things, then God is prompting you and welcoming you into this invitation, a new kind of life. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow him.